Chapter 43 of Haworths. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Haworths by Francis Hodgson Burnett. Even. The same evening, Monsieur Saint Maron had the pleasure of meeting a person of whom he had heard much and in whom he was greatly interested. This person was the master of Haworths who came in after dinner. If he had found Murdoch a little trying and wearisome, Monsieur Saint-Maurin found Haworth astounding. He was not at all prepared for him. When he walked into the room as if it were his own, gave a bare half-knot to French, and carried himself aggressively to Miss French's side, Saint-Maurin was transfixed with astonishment. He had heard faint rumors of something like this before, but he never dreamed of seeing it. He retreated within himself and proceeded to study minutely the manners and characteristics of the successful manufacturers of Great Britain. "'He's very large,' he said, with soft sarcasm to Miss French. "'Very large, indeed.' "'That,' replied Miss French, "'is probably the result of the iron trade.' The truth was that he seemed to fill the room. The time had passed when he was ill at ease in the house. Now he was cool to defiance. French had never found him so embarrassing as he was upon this particular evening. He spoke very little, sitting in his chair silent, with a gloomy and brooding look. When he directed his attention upon any one, it was upon Rachel. The prolonged gaze which she occasionally fixed upon her was one of evil scrutiny, which stirred her usually cool blood not a little. She never failed, however, to meet it with composure. At last she did a daring thing. Under cover of a conversation between her father and saint Morin, she went to the table at his side and began to turn over the books upon it. "'I think,' she said in an undertone, "'that you have something to say to me.' "'Aye,' he answered, "'I have that.' and the time will come when I shall say it, too. You think I'm afraid to hear it, she continued. Follow me to the next room and see. Then she addressed her father, speaking aloud. Your plans for the new bank are in the next room, I believe, she said. I wish to show them to Mr. Haworth. Y yes, he admitted somewhat reluctantly. They are on my table. She passed through the folding doors, and Haworth followed her. She stopped at one of the windows and waited for him to speak, and it was during this moment in which she waited that he saw in her face what he had not seen before a faint pallor and a change which was not so much a real change as a foreshadowing of one to come. He saw it now because it chanced that the light struck full upon her. Now, she said, say your say, but let me tell you that I shall listen not because I feel a shadow of interest in it, but because I know you thought I shrank from hearing it. He pushed open the French window and strode onto the terrace. Step out here, he said. She went out. This, he said, glancing about him, this is the place you stood on the night you showed yourself to the strikers she made no answer it's a good as place as any he went on i'm going to have it out with you he said with bitter significance then for the first time it struck her that she had overstepped her mark and done a dangerous thing but she would have borne a great deal sooner than turn back so she remained i've stood it a long time he said and now i'm going to reckon up there's a good bit of reckoning up to be done betwixt you and me for all you've held me at arm's length i am glad she put in that you acknowledge that i did hold you at arm's length and that you were not blind to it oh he answered i wasn't blind to it no more than you are blind to the other and from first to last it's been my comfort to remember that you were not blind to the other that you knew it as well as i did i've held to that he came close to her when i gave up what i'd worked twenty years to get what did i give it up for for you when i took french and partner what did i run the risk for for you what was to pay me you his close presence in the shadow was so intolerable to her that she could have cried out, but she did not. You made a poor bargain, she remarked. Aye, a poor bargain, but you are one in it. 
You bore it in your mind, and you've bore it there from then till now, and I've got a hold on you through, and that's worth summit to me. If I never came nigh nor touched you, you knew it, and you let it be. No other chap can pay more for you than Jem Haworth's paid. I've got that to think of. She made a gesture with her hand. I, I, hush, she cried out. I will not hear it. Stop it if you can. Call him if you want, and let him hear. The new chap and all, you shall hear, if all Broxton comes. I've paid twenty-five year of work and sweat and grime. I've paid Haworth's, for I'm a ruined chap as I stand here. And but for you, I'd have got through. There was a shock in these last words. If they were true, the blow would fall on her, too. What? she faltered. What do you mean? The strike's begun it, he answered laconically, and with a jerk of his thumb toward the room in which her father sat, he finished it. He tried some of his gentleman pranks in a quiet way, and he lost money on them. He's lost it again and again and tried to cover it up with fresh shifts, and it's Haworth's that must pay for them. It'll come sooner or later, and you may make up your mind to it. What were you doing? she demanded sharply. You might have known. I, he returned. What was I doing? I used to be a sharp chap, and now. I've not been as sharp in the last twelve months, and he was up to it. He thought it was his own brass, likely. He'd give summit for it as it belonged to him. He came nearer to the light and eyed her over. You've had your day, he said. You've made a worse chap of me than I need have been. You, you lost me a friend. I hadn't counted that in. You've done worse than him than you've done by me. He was the finer maker of the two, and it'll go harder with him. When I came in, he was hanging about the roadside, looking up at the house. He didn't see me, but I saw him. He'll be there many a night, I dare say. I'll be ready to swear that he's there now. Whom do you mean? I mean Murdoch. The very sound of his own voice seemed to fire him with rage. She saw a look in his eye which caused her to shrink back, but she was too late. He caught her by the arm and dragged her towards him. A second later, when he released her, she staggered to one of the rustic seats and sank crouching into it, hiding her face into the folds of her dress. She had not cried out, however, nor uttered a sound, and he had known she would not. He stood looking down at her. A gentleman wouldn't have done it, he said hoarsely. I am not a gentleman. You've held me off and trampled me underfoot. That'll leave us a bit even. And he turned on his heel and walked away into the darkness. End of Even. Recording by Mia.